0: The batter stepped up to the plate, and when he did, he could see the hatred in the pitcher's eyes. The pitcher had been throwing heat all day, and this was gonna be no exception. He wound up, he threw the ball, and it was, it was a fast ball. Thrown so hard it knocked the catcher back two feet, swinging a miss. The batter stepped out of the box and came back in, looked directly into the pitcher's eyes, and he saw the hatred, and he knew it was gonna to be tough. The pitcher threw the ball, the batter connected, he got on first base, and the crowd went wild. Unfortunately, they weren't shouts of joy, they were racial slurs. You see, the year was 1948, and this very courageous African-American batter was a guy by the name of Jackie Robinson, and as the people are screaming these racial slurs, he's thinking, am I gonna get out of this place alive? At which time, one of his teammates, a white man, a Brooklyn Dodgers Hall of Fame shortstop by the, way, by the name of Pee Wee Reese, just went over and stood beside him. He put his arm around him and they stared down the crowd together. In fact, Pee Wee just looked into some of the toughest people there and after a few minutes it quieted down. Jackie Robinson said these words. He said, Pee Wee kind of sensed that sort of hopeless." dead feeling in me and came over and stood beside me for a while. He didn't say a word, but he looked over at the chaps who were yelling at me and just stared. He was standing by me. I could tell you that I will never forget it. A hopeless, dead feeling. Have any of you ever had a hopeless, dead feeling in your life? Maybe you haven't experienced something really difficult, but now then with the status of the world or our country or whatever is going on, fill in the blank. You've got this hopeless, dead feeling. Where do you go when you feel that way? Where do you go when you think the whole world is spinning out of control? I'm glad you asked that question because such is what we're going to talk about today. If you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. Christ holds all things together, especially when it seems like they're falling apart. Christ, Jesus Christ holds all things together, especially when they feel like they're falling apart. I call it the Jesus grip, and the beautiful thing is is that he uses you and me and the church to effect that plan. Well, God's got a lot to say about that as we step into another week of this great series on the book of Colossians, a very small letter that Paul writes from prison to the town of Colossae, actually to the church in Colossae. He's writing to believers in Colossae to do one thing, to push up against the Gnostics, this cult that said that there's no such thing as a created God, that Jesus is created, therefore he's evil. He's evil. He would push hard against them. And what we're going to see in today's passage, in Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23, that Christ is supreme. That Christ does hold all things together. We're gonna see Paul push hard against this whole idea of of Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. He's gonna pour into that in a very, very special way. What we're gonna see in today's teaching is that Christ does hold all things together, that on your worst day in your worst season, those two nail-pierced arms are wrapped around you, and on your best day, he's high-fiving you, but he holds it all together. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, that Christ is supreme. I love this passage. Uh, J. Vernon McGee actually said these words about this passage He said it's one of the most powerful passages in all of scripture that deals with one thing and one thing only, relationship, the supremacy of Christ in relationship. And what we're going to see today is we're going to talk first about Christ's relationship with the Father. Then we're going to look at Christ's relationship to creation, then his relationship to the church, then his relationship to the cross, and last but not least, his relationship to you. And to me, I'm so excited about this sermon. No pressure from Pastor Bob the past three weeks. He's like, it's gonna be the best sermon ever preached at Cornwall Church. Thanks a lot, Bob. I love you. Uh, And so with that, if it makes sense, it's from God. If it doesn't make sense, it's from me. So you guys ready to go? Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. Let's do this. Paul kicks it off with these words. He says, he, Jesus, is the image, the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Let's say that again. He is the image, circle that, because we've got to look at that, of the invisible God, the firstborn, circle that. We're going to look at that over all creation. So he, he kicks it off by stating the obvious. Jesus is God. We say that time and time again from this platform. Scripture speaks into that. And what he says is that he's the image of the invisible God. Let's geek out and Greek out on that word image. It's kind of a cool word. Uh, The Greek word is icon. It's where in, in the English language we get the word wait for it, here it comes. Icon. Yeah, and what it means is the exact representation of something. So Paul says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. I've got this saying when it comes to the Trinity. God the Father Revealed by the Son, whom we get to experience through the Holy Spirit. Think about that. God the Father revealed by the Son, all the attributes of God found in Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Whom we get to experience 24 hours a day, seven days a week, through the Holy Spirit. Jesus reveals God like that, that exact representation. So Paul writes, that he's the image, but he's also the firstborn over all creation. Here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that Jesus was created. When Paul writes that he's the firstborn of creation, he's not talking about birth order. He's talking about what Pastor Bob talked about in week one, preeminence. He's talking about supremacy. So let me give you a biblical example of that. Many of you know my my, my hero in the Bible is David. I preach a lot about David uh, David, uh, David and, and Goliath fame. And David was known as a firstborn. Okay, wait a second. If you know anything about David, you know that there are eight brothers in his family. He's the youngest of those eight brothers. He also had two sisters. So how can he be firstborn? Look at this. Psalm 89, verse 27. The psalmist write, I will also appoint him, that's David, as my what? My firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. So firstborn is not literal, it's figurative. It's not about birth order, it's about supremacy, the most exalted. And as you read Colossians, always remember why Paul's writing. He's writing to show that Christ is supreme, that he does hold all things together. We'll see that in just a second. But he writes to push against the cults, specifically the Gnostics that said Jesus was yet another created being. Our Mormon friends, our Jehovah's Witness friends, our Muslim friends all believe that Jesus was created And they may hold Jesus somewhat in high esteem, but they don't see his preeminence. Paul debunks that further. Look at verse 16. For by him, by him, by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rules or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Paul makes two incredible statements here. That all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. All things, okay, all things good. I want to be very, very clear about this. Jesus did not create evil. He did not create evil. He creates all things that are good. You see, evil is the absence of good. Jesus didn't create an absence. He creates all things that's good. And and so it begs a question, did Jesus create Satan well, the answer is actually yes and no. Let's go down this rabbit trail because it plays into what we're talking about today. Think about this, Angelology 101. Uh, God or Jesus creates angels. When he created angels, they have a twofold purpose, to serve God and to serve man. Scripture tells us that, that a created angel, all angels are given, uh, given free will, a, a specific created angel whose name would become Lucifer was the most beautiful of all the created angels, and he had a pride problem. this created angel called Lucifer. I would say it was bigger than that. I think he had a real problem having to serve us. He looks down on us. So, so Jesus created angels. He gave them free will, but, but some created angels rebelled because they had free will and that re, free will, and that rebellion was led by Satan. So now then, Satan's evil came from within himself. Jesus didn't create the evil. Now, all things that are evil stem from two things. Satan and his demonic forces, we've preached on that here before, as well as sin, our selfishness, our disobedience. That's where evil comes from. Jesus did not create evil. Evil is the absence of good. It's like a hole. A hole is the absence of dirt. Evil is the absence of God. So back to Paul's point, Jesus creates, he creates all things, all things that are good. He's not just another created God for us to follow. Uh, the, The disciple John would agree. Let's look at this, John 1 verses 1 through 3. Very popular passage, we've preached this here countless times. In the beginning was the Word, the Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus creates the visible, he creates the invisible, and all he creates is good. Nothing exists from the smallest atom all the way to the greatest galaxies without Jesus. So Paul clearly sets it up here that Jesus is God. Verses 15 and 16, folks, are probably two of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture that talks about the divinity or the divine nature of Christ. So let's keep on going because now Paul's going to hit home our, our main theme. Colossians 1 verse 17. He, that's Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. In Paul's time, uh, just like today, people worshipped a lot of different gods. One of the gods they worshipped was actually Rome. Because in Paul's time, Rome ruled a big chunk of the world. They looked for their hope to be Rome. The leader of Rome was Caesar. And and Caesar was worshipped as a god. So the people worshipped Rome. They worshipped Caesar. And we may roll our eyes at that, but think about this. We can do the same. We can worship hashtag Merkah and look at our country and, and, and worship our country. We can worship a politician. We can worship a cause. We can worship programs, a political program. We can worship the Pope. And and, and what we see here is God saying, No, no, don't do that. All of those Things and people don't hold all things together. Only Jesus holds it all together. Listen to me, no politician, no program, no cause, no nation is greater than Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Christ is supreme. He creates, and it's not like he creates, starts the world spinning, and steps back and says, wow, sucks to be you guys, good luck with that. That school of thought is called deism, No, he's intimately involved in our lives. Nothing lands in our laps without passing through the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. He holds it all together even though it seems like it's fallen apart. And that can be really hard to remember during times of fear, famine, failure, floods, and what can happen is we can focus on fear and lose that hope in our hearts. Where do we go to, to, for, for that hope when all things are unraveling? To Jesus, because he holds it all together. When all things are unraveling, he holds it all together. When we feel defeated and there's no way out, he holds it all together. When we're in that medical exam room and we're counting those ceiling tiles, or when you've gotten the diagnosis and you're receiving the treatment and you're counting those ceiling tiles, you gotta remember that he holds it all together. When you receive that difficult news, loss of a life, loss of a loved one, loss of your health, loss of a job, loss of a marriage, loss of fill in the blank for whatever it is, you've got to remember that he holds it all together, especially when it feels like it's falling apart. But here's the thing that we got to remember Jesus is under no obligation to answer our prayers the way we think he should. It's as if he's he's saying, Listen, guys, I created everything. Don't you know I know what's best for you? You may not understand it, but I do. Will you please just trust me? We've got to stop putting Jesus on trial with every one of our circumstances. You know, you go through that tough circumstance at the end of it, you post on on social media, God is good all the time. You get all the likes and the hearts, yeah, amen, hallelujah. But are you willing to say God is good all the time when your kid's in the ER? When you've suffered a loss that is heartbreaking and heart-wrenching? He holds it all together. So, so far, we've seen... Paul write about Jesus' relationship with God the Father. We've seen his relationship with all of creation. Now what Paul's gonna do is he's gonna shift gears is he's gonna talk about his relationship to the church. And we're we're gonna sit in this one for quite some time. So let's look at this. Let's look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. Who's the head of the church? Jesus, yeah, good job. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have what? The supremacy. Jesus is the head of the church. Now, even though Paul had never been to Colossae, uh, Paul had a great reputation. He was the pastor of disaster in the New Testament. He was the rock star of all these pastors out there. Not a great order, but people knew of Paul and he had an amazing reputation for good reason. And he would send a scathing letter to the church in Corinth who was doing some pastor worship. They were worshiping, the church was divided between Apollos and Paul and he says, stop it, don't divide the church, this is not about men, this is not about people, this is about Jesus. He and Barnabas were on a, a mission trip and they, when they were on a mission trip, they hit this town called Lystra and then another town called Derby and everybody there thought they were little G gods and they were worshiping him and, and, he, and they, they tore their, uh, Paul and Barnabas tore their cloaks and said, don't do that, don't worship us, worship Jesus. Paul's always clear and we gotta hang on to this is that Jesus leads the church, the big C church and the local church. Jesus, not people. He uses all of us to affect his plan, but Jesus leads the church. So back in 2011, I, I'd been candidating for an associate pastor position in a local church, great local church, a smaller church, and it just didn't work out. And so the senior pastor and I were good friends to this day. I'm just like, I got to feed my family. I got to go somewhere else. And so someone invited us here to Cornwall Church. Cornwall had no openings at that time. And so I'm like, okay, we'll go to Cornwall Church. So we came here to Cornwall Church at a Saturday night service. And Linda and I and our kids fell in love with this place. Like this is this church we want to be in. We love Pastor Bob, solid communicator, loved everything about this church. So we immediately got plugged in. Four days, five days later, I'm in a small group with a guy named Terry Hunt. Terry's a great guy, went to be with the Lord a couple years ago. And TJ and I are sitting side by side. He says, okay, so you're a pastor, without a church, without a job, do you like doing hospital visits? I'm like, yeah, I always, I'm always up for a hospital visit. He said, okay, I'm going to, to the hospital tomorrow. Uh, go with me. So we go to the hospital, went to St. Joseph Hospital, uh, visited some Cornwallers, and then he said, okay, we're gonna go to St. Francis, ne- just next door to the hospital. It's an assisted living facility. And we went in there, and we're, we're visiting a bunch of Cornwallers in there, and I looked out of the corner of my eye, and there was this ponytail dude talking to a bunch of people. And it was Pastor Bob. And I said, wait a second, dude. He, pastor Bob is here on a Friday, the day that most senior pastors of churches, mega churches are doing sermon prep because we do Saturday and Sunday services. He's here visiting people. TJ said, oh yeah, he's, he's a pastor. That's, that's what he does. I said, okay, I can get behind that. I can submit myself and my family to the spiritual authority of this senior pastor. Here's why I share that story. Bob is not only one of my dearest friends in the world, he's one of the most humble people I know. And from this platform, he has said, do not worship our pastors. Do not worship our ministry leaders. Because guess what? Someday, Pastor Bob is gonna retire and Cornwall Church is gonna be just fine. Someway, someday, Pastor Grant at Christ the King is gonna retire and CTK is gonna be okay. Okay. Ministry leaders are gonna come and go and it's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. So if it's not Bob, don't turn into a mob. Stop crying if it ain't Brian. This is just coming to me. This is a Holy Spirit moment for me. (laughs) Pull in that upper lip if it ain't Kip. Oh, there's more. If you're in women's ministry and, and, and you're at a women's ministry event, don't get all drooly if it's not Julie. If it's not Grant, Don't rant, okay, I'll stop right there. The point is this, it's about Jesus. And Jesus uses all of us, all of us, with our gifts. Every one of us has different gifts. We're so blessed to have one of the top communicators in the region as our senior pastor. Don't worship him, he'd say the same thing, he said the same thing. Don't worship any leaders here, we worship Jesus, we stand on the shoulders of Jesus. Pastor Brian Loritz, uh, he's a, a, an incredible preacher out of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina a, a, at the Summit Church. He said these words. He, said, he says, it's all about Jesus. The, the church is about we, not me. The church is about we, not me. It's, it, it, let's talk about we versus me. Because every time you see a huge revival anywhere, there's a church behind it because it's all of us. It's not just one or two of us. It's all of us using our spiritual gifts to build the church. So what I want to do, I want to camp on this for a couple of minutes because Jesus is the head of the body. I want to shout out a bunch of names of people who are doing stuff. Now, here's the thing. We got a whole lot of people at a whole lot of campuses doing a whole lot of things, and I can't say everyone's name. So if I don't mention your name, please don't send me the email being all hurt because I didn't mention your name, okay? Okay. The names I'm mentioning represent so many different people, okay? So you come into the Bellingham campus, you drive in, and let's use our Saturday night five o'clock service, for example, when you drive into here, you've got a great parking team, Uh, Gary leads a parking team for all of our services, and at our Saturday night five o'clock service, for example, you get Yvonne, you get Alan, and you get Fred, and they're waving to you, they're so glad you're here, they want to welcome you. You get parked, hopefully you don't get hit by anybody as you come inside. You come inside and and Roger and his team of ushers and volunteers are there to welcome you. More touch points, just to make sure that you feel welcome because a church can be a pretty scary place to go to sometimes. You come in and, and, and you grab your coffee, a hospitality team of Jim and Russ and Jeff and Clark and Lori and others, they give you that coffee that'll cause hair to come out of your eyelids. Praise Jesus you walk down that hallway, Explorers League, and you're gonna see some amazing teenagers like Michaela or Sarah, or not-so-teenagers like Muriel or, or David or Kelly, and they want to show and point your kids to Jesus. They wanna reflect Jesus in all they do. You know, we are the church. Come on in here to the auditorium. Some weekends you'll have the entire DeBoom family serving on the tech team. This weekend you see the Stipkala young men up there. You've got all these volunteers who care about Jesus and they want to lead you to have an encounter with Jesus. You see, we are the church. We've got some great security personnel. I won't name their names because if I did, they'd have to tase you and blind you with pepper spray. We've got a medical team, Dr. Dave. Jeremy, Sky, Stephanie, all using their gifts to serve. We are the church. I mentioned women's ministry, sisterhood ministry. For those of you that are part of our women's ministry, if you go to our sisterhood Facebook page, you're definitely gonna run into D and you're gonna run into Rosie, people who love Jesus and just wanna share their gifts. Think about other gatherings, such as student ministry, if you go into student ministry, if you go to the edge, you'll run into Joe and Don and Ashley. You run into our high school ministry encounter, you'll definitely see Anna, Laura, and Morgan. The table on Thursday nights, you're going to run into Leah, among others. You see, we are the church. It's about we versus me. All of us have something to contribute. But it goes outside of these walls where we go and be the hands and feet of Jesus. We go in love, and we are a light. You want to go to Haiti you're definitely gonna talk to Dean and Donna Willette. If you get a ride in the Jesus Taxi, you'll run into my friend Kim. If you wanna be part of uh, of supporting Cordata Elementary School, one of the public schools that we support, you're gonna run into Jacob Mack and his team at Teach One to Lead One. We are the church. Go to Lighthouse Mission, you'll talk to Joe Wilson. All of you here are contributing, most of you are contributing in many, many different ways. All of you have a gift that God's given you to share with others. But let's, let's talk about Skagit, because you drive onto the Skagit campus, you got Phil and Bill and Keith there greeting you in the parking lot. You get parked, you walk into the building, Susie and her team are making sure that you get your coffee, that you get your Cornwall happenings, uh, probably Marilee and Janine are two of the people handing that out. You walk into the auditorium and there's this guy in a fedora who plays like 50 different instruments and the kazoo, his name is Aaron. His awesome wife, Gail, is up in the tech booth. She's flipping slides. Back on stage, you got Josh slapping the bass, and then his old man is oftentimes playing the drums. We are the church. Go downstairs to where Explorers League is, and you got Zach, and you got Terry, and you got Jennifer leading kids to Jesus. We are the church. But what about Belize? We talk about Belize a lot. Belize, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Rotha and his team are truly altering the landscape one life at a time through Jesus. Bring it back here. Megan Manthe at Manthe Momentum Gym. She opens up her gym on Saturday nights and just brings people in there. She and her husband, Brent, bring people in there just to meet Jesus in a place that may not be as as intimidating as a church. We are the church. Many of you Many of you live out your faith right where you are in your jobs, and it's amazing. Friends of mine like Christy Dominguez, she's Dr. Christy Dominguez, who is the superintendent at Ferndale, at our Ferndale School District, leading with character, honor, integrity, and faith. My friend Jen Freeman, one of the top real estate agents in all of Whatcom County, who leads with integrity and faith. We are the church. We are the church. Jeff Caldwell runs a business in a godly way. Cameron Ford, if you come back here on our campus during the week and you see this skinny guy with a baseball uh, cap out in the the, uh, parking lot and he's working on the grounds, guess what? He's a seminary student halfway through his Master of Divinity who works full-time here at Cornwall Church. We are the church. Don't forget online. Our online community is amazing, living out their faith where they are, from Marlene Flinger down in College Station, Texas, to David and Nancy up in Minnesota, to Corey and Lynn in Spokane. Let me just give you one last example of the church. A guy named Dan Miller, I love Dan, he's, he's watching today, and, and, and Dan is at an assisted living facility. He's been a longtime Cornwaller, he's a retired pastor. He would say that pastors never retire. And Dan has been in a hospital bed for 100 days, And he's leading so many people to Jesus, reflecting Jesus, cheering on our health care personnel who are on the ragged, jagged edge, folks. We are the church. We're the church. We, not me. And Jesus is in charge. And he gives us the ability to, to affect his plan. So let's go back to verse 18. I want to hit the backside of verse 18. Let's look at the first part. And he is the head of the body of the church. I think we hit that one hard enough. He is the beginning and the, look at this, firstborn from among the dead. Remember what firstborn means. It's about supremacy. Firstborn is about the preeminence of Jesus so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Do you realize that in scripture there's only one man who is raised from the dead who stepped into a glorified body. You may say, wait a second, Kip, hold on just a second. You got Elijah, you got Elisha, you've got uh, got Jesus. You have even Peter, he raised that gal Dorcas from the dead, come on. Yeah, but all of them were put back into decaying bodies. All of them would die. Only Jesus would go into an earthly body or a, a glorified body and that's so important because he goes into that he's resurrected he goes into that glorified body he 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 ascends to heaven sits at the right hand of the father he pours out his holy spirit and the beautiful thing about that is the resurrection the resurrection without the resurrection our faith is meaningless death has no sting because of the resurrection paul would say to be absent in the body is to be present in Christ because of the resurrection. Last October, I did a sermon called Hell is for Real and it was in that sermon in which I talked about death, I talked about where we go when we die, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever and if you may recall, I I talked about how when you die as a believer, immediately you're in front of Jesus and the speed of a thought, you're in front of Jesus. There's no such thing as purgatory to have your sins burned off, that's not biblical. There's no such thing as soul sleep where you're going to go until Jesus comes back. Your body is dead. It goes into the ground, whether in ashes or in a decayed form. It decays and decays more. Jesus will someday resurrect that into a glorified body too. But for us, immediately, as followers of Jesus, we're standing in front of Jesus. So many of you fear death. Don't. Death has no sting. So we look at the backside of verse 18 and we understand this. Christ has supremacy over death because he's the firstborn. Firstborn's about supremacy, right? And with that, he has supremacy over life. He has supremacy over death and because of that, he has supremacy over life. We shouldn't fear death because Jesus conquered it. Death has no sting. He holds it all together. I was recently reading a book. It's called Peace After Combat. It's a great book on how to work through PTSD for combat veterans. And it's written by a Christian therapist who's done some amazing things. She did a bunch of case studies. And one of the case studies she did was on a gal named Lindy. They changed her name to protect the innocent. Let me tell you Lindy's story because it it, it lays into this whole concept of death having no sting because of the resurrection. Uh, Lindy was uh, the top trauma surgeon in all the Air Force. Uh, she had been on her, she, on her second tour in Afghanistan. And on this tour, she had befriended an amazing young lady by the name of Crystal. Crystal was going to go to medical school. Crystal was from a tough background. She was a single mom, had a little girl, three years old. They became best friends, Lindy and Crystal. They'd go to chapel all the time together. Uh, Lindy was, was uh, uh, um, mentoring her to help her with med school and on a really bad day in her second tour in Afghanistan, they had a mortar attack and Crystal absorbed the brunt of an explosion into her body. So Lindy's in the OR as the best trauma surgeon in the Air Force, right in there and she's operating on Crystal, uh, elbow deep in her chest cavity. Remember, Lindy's a Christian and she's saying, God, please help her, please help her, come on God, please help her, heal her Jesus. And on that day, Jesus said no. Crystal flatlined and died. So, Lindy's hand started shaking at that time. It was a pretty bad thing for her as a trauma surgeon, one of the top in the business. Her command was very wise. And the commander sent her back to the States, to El Paso, to be with this specific PTSD uh, therapist. And what she would find is a bunch of incredible things by looking at not only this scripture, but other scriptures, as well as some therapeutic techniques for those of us with PTSD. The surgeon's world was falling apart, yet it was Christ who held her together. She couldn't understand why Jesus would say no, but Jesus did. She realized that because of the resurrection, death had no sting for Crystal, and she would definitely see her again. She was able to adopt Crystal's daughter. This is 10 years ago and they're both doing well. She'd realize that God does work for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. He will work it out. She realized that when we suffer, Jesus suffers with us in a hell he didn't create. She'd realize that when all things are breaking loose, Christ isn't our adversary in suffering. He's our cure because he holds all things together. So Paul has been talking about the church, talks about death. Now what he's gonna do is it looks like he's gonna shift gears again, but what he's gonna do is he's gonna really emphasize the deity of Jesus. Look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Fullness, fullness, let's talk about fullness. Let's geek out and Greek out on fullness. The word here fullness in Greek is pleroma. And what pleroma means, it's a, a container, That's 100% full. The the Greek culture at that time, when they would send a ship out, it was Pleroma if it was completely full with sailors and equipment. What Paul is talking about here is that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. He was the Pleroma. The fullness of God is found in him. Jesus would say, I and the Father are one. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. God the Father revealed by the Son. All the attributes of God found in Jesus. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-perfect, all Jesus. But here's what's so beautiful about it that we can't forget. This is so cool. When Jesus dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. What does he do? He pours out his Holy Spirit. And now, because the fullness of God is found in Jesus, he pours out his holy, the Holy Spirit on us so we can stare down evil. It's like the Holy Spirit comes up alongside us, puts his arm around us, like Pee Wee did with Jackie. And not only do we stare down evil, evil, we have the power and authority to act against it, to love the unlovable, to forgive the unforgivable, to live out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Praise God. We got hope when all is falling apart made right with God through Christ. So he's talked about, he's talked about the relationship with Jesus and the Father, Jesus and creation, Jesus and the church. Now he's going to talk about Jesus and the cross, verse 20. And through him to reconcile, reconcile, say that word with me, reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. So reconciliation is important in keeping any relationship healthy. When it comes to biblical restoration, I love Chuck Swindoll's uh, Swindoll's definition. He says it's the bringing together of two or more parties that are in disharmony and removing the cause of the disagreement. So God reconciles us to him. He's done nothing wrong. What has to be removed is the sin the disobedience, and he does it with Jesus. He slams Jesus to the cross. He pours out his wrath on Jesus. Our sin, past, present, and future. Swindoll said it this way. I love this. He said, Christ's blood is, listen to this, the divine detergent that washes away our sins. How cool is that? So now through Jesus, we believers are in right standing with God. We gotta remember when he reconciles all things, what he means is, He's talking about believers. Paul is writing to the believers in Colossae, universalists who believe that anyone and everyone gets to God, your, your way is your way, mine is mine. In the, in the end, God just makes it all happen together. And we're all in heaven together. That's just not biblical. If that were so, it would go against the words of Jesus, John fourteen 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No contradiction here. So that's all good, but Paul reminds us of our standing With Christ in these last couple of verses so now he's going to shift it all now to you and to me let's look at this verse 21 he says once you believers were alienated from God because of our sin and were enemies in your minds enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior does that mean if we're enemies of God does that mean God hates us and you think about it you got an enemy you're going to hate the enemy right well let me give you an example Got an amazing mom. This mom is incredible. She has a son. She loves her son with everything so much that she's willing to discipline her son. And at one point in his teenage years, the the disciplining, he's not taking it. He's like, I'm I'm done with you, mom. I'm out of here. I hate you. The mom doesn't turn and say, son, I hate you too. No, she loves the son because she's a loving parent. The son's got the problem, not the mom. And that's God. We can look at God as the enemy before Jesus, But with Jesus, we're reconciled. For God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves me. He wants to reconcile us through Christ. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to to, to watch this, present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Think about this. God doesn't look at you and look at me and see our last mistake. You're not defined by your last mistake, praise God. Because of that divine detergent, he looks at you and me and he sees Jesus, he doesn't see backsliding, relapses, failures, all that junk, all because Christ is supreme. He closes it with a warning, verse 23. If you, believers, continue in your faith established and firm, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, bad things made good through Jesus who loves us, that's the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So he's not talking about losing your salvation, he's talking about your genuineness of faith. If you have received Jesus as your Savior and Lord from that time until this time, you should be able to look back at that and see some form of change in your life, positive change. The way you look at suffering, the way you look at others, the way you view yourself, the way you have hope in very difficult situations doesn't mean you're perfect. We're all on this journey from the time we receive Jesus till the time we die and stand in front of him. He's talking about genuineness of faith. With Jesus, you should have that. And also, you should be able to pr- pr- push hard against the goofy teachings that come and go. All right, with that, I got to land this plane. Jay Vergen and McGee, he said, this is such an incredible passage on relationships. Think about this. Verse 15 is about Jesus' relationship to the Father, verses 16 and 17, Jesus' relationship with creation. Verse 18, and you could argue verse 19, but I'd land heavily on verse 18, Jesus' relationship with the church. Verse 20, Jesus' relationship to the cross. Verses 21, 22, and 23, his relationship with you and with me. He holds it all together, it's the Jesus grip. About 21 years ago, I got really, really sick. I had West Nile virus. Uh, the, the military doctors that I were with didn't, didn't test me for that, thank you very little, and it kind of wrecked my body, and they had me going down a different road. They thought I had this terminal illness that was going to kill me in a matter of a handful of months, maybe a year. And so it was a very, very difficult time. What's crazy about it was just before that. Just before that, probably a handful of weeks before, God had placed it on my heart to plant a flag in the cement. And the flag in the cement was to choose God. That no matter what, in a time of suffering, I would basically say these words, which are your challenge today. Jesus, I trust you. You hold it all together. Jesus, I trust you. No matter what comes down the pike, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to scream in the middle of the night, why God, why? He's a big God and he can take it. But the last time I checked in scripture, he rarely answers that question. I'm going to say, you are a good God and I will trust you. Folks, that has helped me out in so many struggles all of my life. That's why I wanted to share that challenge with you. But you have to decide on the front side, is God good or isn't he? Does he have your best interests or not? Are you gonna put him on trial every single time you go through a tough circumstance? Or are you gonna say, nope, I'm not. I'm just gonna trust you, God. Some of you right now are in horrific circumstances and very, very difficult times. And I am so sorry for that. But if you're in the why God, why God mode, change your story to this. Plant your flag. Jesus, I trust you. You hold all things together. The good the bad, and the ugly. It's the Jesus grip. Will you trust him?